to believe in all that the Sabbath proclaims. The creation of the world and God's involvement with it is to believe that despite the existence of tyranny and of evil, the Almighty has a providential plan which ends in the defeat of that very same evil and concludes with the redemption of existence. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 220, The Sabbath Peace. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. Louis Brandeis, one of the most famous lawyers of early 20th century America and later the first Jew appointed to the Supreme Court, grew up utterly assimilated with virtually no experience of Judaic observance. But one traditionally Jewish role model did exist for Brandeis, and that was his mother's brother, a learned lawyer by the name of Louis Dembitz, a man who inspired Brandeis's own choice of career so profoundly that he, Brandeis, changed his own middle name from David to Dembitz in his uncle's honor. Louis Dembitz, who helped engineer Lincoln's nomination in 1860, reflected devout dedication to Judaism and profound American patriotism. It is therefore appropriate that Dembitz was revered by all who knew him for his integrity and his Jewish religiosity. Thus, a non-Jewish Louisville paper wrote the following after Dembitz's passing in tribute to him. Quote, Questions of theology always interested him keenly, and he early in life made a careful study of the Talmud in the original Aramaic tongue. If by chance the rabbi of the congregation failed to appear, Mr. Dembitz willingly and eagerly conducted the services. And the paper later added that, Mr. Dembitz's doctrine prohibited work on the Sabbath day, and he never was known to violate the teaching. To change the condition of a material object for a useful purpose constituted work in his opinion. He would not sign his own name on a Saturday, which of course was his Sabbath, nor would he so much as open a letter, end quote. But the most interesting tribute to Dembitz's observance of Judaism came from Brandeis himself, who, building on a phrase from the English essayist Joseph Addison, once wrote the following, quote, In the home of my parents, there was no Jewish Sabbath, nor in my own home. But I recall vividly the joy and awe with which my uncle, Louis Dembitz, welcomed the arrival of the day and the piety with which he observed it. I remember the extra delicacies, lighting of candles, prayers over a cup of wine, and quaint chants, and Uncle Lewis poring over the books most of the day. I remember more particularly an elusive something about him which was spoken of as Sabbath peace, and which later brought to my mind a passage from Addison in which he speaks of stealing a day out of life to live, end quote. The Sabbath peace. What is the source of this feeling? What religious worldview does it express? The answer can be found in the psalm most associated with the Sabbath which, at first glance, seems to have little to do with the Sabbath itself. Psalm 92 begins with the words, Mizmor Shir Liom HaShabbat, identifying it as a song and psalm for the Sabbath. According to Jewish tradition, it was this psalm that was sung by the Levites in the temple on the Sabbath, which means that it is the psalm that is most bound up with the Sabbath. And yet, when we look at the rest of the text of this psalm, we find that no mention is made of the Sabbath at all. The psalm reads, It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High to show forth thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness every night. Upon an instrument of ten strings and upon the psaltery, upon the harp with a solemn sound. For thou, Lord, hast made me glad through thy works. I will triumph in the works of thy hands. O Lord, how great are thy works, and thy thoughts are very deep. A brutish man knoweth not, neither doth a fool understand this. When the wicked spring as the grass, and when all the workers of iniquity do flourish, it is that they will be destroyed forever. But thou, Lord, art most high forevermore. 
For lo, thine enemies, O Lord, for lo, thine enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. But my horn shalt thou exalt like the horn of an aurochs. I shall be anointed with fresh oil. Mine eye also shall see my desire on mine enemies, and mine ears shall hear my desire of the wicked that rise up against me. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be healthy and flourishing to show that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. So the psalm says. Now why, ladies and gentlemen, is this for the psalms the song of the Sabbath, the Mizmor Shirli Yom Shabbat? The answer lies in the fact that the central theme here is the ultimate defeat of evil and the flourishing of the righteous. It presents, in other words, a vision of a redeemed world. And if the Sabbath is a day divorced from mundane concerns of the world, it is because we are supposed to be experiencing a foretaste of that redeemed world, what the rabbis called me'en olam haba. The psalm of the Shabbat thus captured the way that the Sabbath, through its guaranteeing and ultimate redemption, sustained Jews through centuries of persecution. And it is this feeling of Sabbath peace that they sought to experience even in the most challenging of times. This is perhaps most memorably captured in the poem by Heinrich Heine, The Sabbath Princess, which describes the Jew being treated throughout most of the week by anti-Semites like a dog. But, as Heine further describes, thanks to what he calls the Princess Sabbath, the Jew on the seventh day of the week becomes transformed. Here are several selected stanzas from the poem, following one translation I found online. Heine writes, Of a prince by fate thus treated is my song, his name is Israel, and a witch's spell has changed him to the likeness of a dog. But on every Friday evening, on a sudden in the twilight, the enchantment weakens, ceases, and the dog, once more, is human. Heine adds, And his father's halls he enters as a man with man's emotions, head and heart alike uplifted, clad in pure and festal raiment. The poem goes on to further describe the glories of the Sabbath peace. The work has its funny moments, such as its description of the prohibition on this day against smoking, and its description of a central source of the enjoyment of the Sabbath being a stew known as cholent. Thus speaking of the Sabbath princess, Heine further writes, She denies her lover nothing save the smoking of tobacco. Dearest, smoking is forbidden, for today it is the Sabbath. But at noon, as compensation, there shall steam for thee a dish that in very truth divine is, thou shalt eat today of cholent. And Heine adds, for this cholent is the very food of heaven which on Sinai God himself instructed Moses in the secret of preparing. Now this, of course, is deliberately comical. It is the spiritual Sabbath peace, first and foremost, not the cholent, that is the true source of the spiritual bliss of the seventh day. But the poem, from a poet with a profoundly difficult relationship with his own Jewish identity, hits on a central truth, that the Sabbath sustained Jews in the face of terrible persecution, because the Sabbath, as Psalm 92 proclaims, provides a foretaste of a redeemed world, and thereby promises that one day evil will be defeated. It is with this in mind that we can ponder the Jewish tradition that the ancient Israelites, even as slaves in Egypt, had a sort of Sabbath that they utilized to sustain themselves in the face of Egyptian persecution. The Midrashic text known as Shemot Rabbah reports, Shehayu biadam megilot, shehayu mishtashi'in meshabbat Shabbat, that the Israelite slaves had sacred scrolls, writings from their past, which they would read every Sabbath 
Lomar Shakadosh Baruchu Goalan, writings which informed them that the Almighty would ultimately redeem them. What this Midrash is saying is that long before the Torah was given, before the Exodus occurred, the concept of the Sabbath existed among the Israelites and served for them as a central source of inspiration in the face of their servitude. The Sabbath allowed them to continue to hold fast to their belief and to continue their backbreaking labor without allowing it to crush their souls. Amazingly, this Midrash made its way into the great film The Ten Commandments in a scene where, when Moses is a prince living in the palace of Pharaoh, he is appointed by the king of Egypt to oversee the Israelite slaves. And suddenly the Pharaoh receives a report from his son and ultimate successor, Ramesses, that Moses has decided to give the Israelites one day off. Ewell Brenner, playing Prince Ramesses, says, He gives them the priest grain and one day and seven to rest. They call it the Day of Moses. And if the movie makes mention of the Sabbath, it is because, as the biography of Cecil B. DeMille, Empire of Dreams, describes, the director's researchers look to both rabbinic and other texts for material to add to the script. And thus, it seems that the screenwriters took this notion directly from Shemot Rabbah, linking the rabbinic description of the special Sabbath observed by the Israelites to a day that the movie called the Day of Moses. I am grateful to my friend Rabbi Daniel Yalkut of Pittsburgh, who, in an article we have sent to you, notes both this midrash and its reflection in the movie. Rabbi Yalkut further cites a great 20th century Talmudic scholar by the name of Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, who, drawing on the medieval exegete Rashi, suggests that this psalm may have been among the writings recited by the Israelite slaves in Egypt. Rabbi Yalkut writes, quote, Imagine then the power of these lines from the psalm to Jews struggling to believe against an existence that seemed permeated with injustice. When the wicked spring up as the grass, and when all the workers of iniquity do flourish, it is that they may be destroyed forever, but thou, Hashem, art on high forevermore. For lo, thine enemies, O Lord, for lo, thine enemies shall perish. End quote. Whether or not one adopts Rabbi Kamenetsky's approach, what this Midrashic tradition is communicating to us in its description of the slaves studying sacred writings on the Sabbath, and thereby sustaining themselves, is that the Sabbath gave the Jews throughout the centuries the courage to psychologically face the persecution that came upon them by giving them, week after week, a sense of redemption yet to come. This, ultimately, is the spirit and inspiration of Psalm 92. To believe in all that the Sabbath proclaims, the creation of the world and God's involvement with it, is to believe that despite the existence of tyranny and of evil, the Almighty has a providential plan which ends in the defeat of that very same evil and concludes with the redemption of existence. And once in a while, in studying the seeming coincidences of history, we can note evidence of the presence of providence. Louis Brandeis spent much of his life estranged from Jewish identity and without any connection to the Zionist movement that had developed as his own legal career advanced. But then Brandeis happened to meet a Zionist journalist by the name of Jacob de Haas, who offhandedly inquired if Brandeis was related to Louis Dembitz, who was himself an ardent Zionist. As the writer Rick Richmond has documented, it was this reference to the uncle he so admired that ultimately inspired Brandeis to embrace Zionism and to become a leader in that movement. Then, in 1917, after Brandeis had been elevated by Wilson to the Supreme Court, Chaim Weitzman cabled Brandeis asking for his help in galvanizing American support for what would ultimately be called the Balfour Declaration. Brandeis, Richmond writes, quote, wired Weitzman that based on his talks with Wilson, the president was in entire sympathy with the draft declaration and in mid-October, Wilson himself passed a private message to the British supporting the declaration. It was issued two weeks later. 
The message was, Weitzman wrote later, one of the most important individual factors in breaking the deadlock. Nachum Goldman, later president of the World Zionist Organization, wrote in his autobiography that without Brandeis's efforts, the Balfour Declaration would probably never have been issued, end quote. There is a line to be drawn from Brandeis's admiration of Louis Dembitz, the man who embraced the Sabbath peace and the Balfour Declaration. The God who created the world is a God whose hand is in history. It is this belief that the Jewish people have marked throughout their history, every Shabbat. This faith sustained them through some of the most difficult of times, and their faith inspires us to hope to see more providential miracles very soon. This is Mayor Soloveitchik wishing you a Shabbat Shalom and looking forward to learning together next week. Signing off.